Hello and welcome to Socialism, the weekly Marxist analysis podcast from the Socialist Party. We have a reputation for emphasising the importance of the trade unions in struggles from workplace issues like pay and conditions to social issues like the NHS and racism. But right-wing union leaderships have often meant that in the recent period, the trade unions haven't always been at the cutting edge of struggle. So why do they still matter? And what can be done to force them to use their potential power? This week, we're asking, what's the big deal about trade unions? Over to Sarah Rack. Today, I'm here with Rob Williams, who is the National Industrial Organiser of the Socialist Party. Hi, Rob. Hiya. Um, and we're going to be talking about the trade unions. Um, so if we jump straight in then to the issue at the heart of it, I think... Um, Obviously, the Socialist Party, we say we're a revolutionary party. We strive to completely transform the way that the world is organised for revolutionary change. And uh, to put it mildly at the moment, anyway, the trade unions are not that type of body. They're not revolutionary organisations. But I think the Socialist Party has a reputation, actually, for putting a lot of emphasis on the importance of the trade unions. Why is that? What? Why do we care so much about the unions, given that? Yeah, um, well, first of all, because the trade unions are the basic organisation of workers. And uh, you're right in saying that at the moment it can look like uh, perhaps they're not playing the role that they should do. Although we should make the point that, you know, and I'm also chair of the National Shelf Stewards Network, and if people follow what we put out every week in the NSSN, that the unions are still involved in a huge amount of activity and disputes uh, members taking action but on the whole then it's true to say that many of the unions are not playing the role they should do um, but nevertheless they have massive potential you know the working class is the dominant class uh, in society the trade unions have six million members to put that into perspective you know the Labour Party has had a big influx of members over the last few years since Jeremy Corbyn was elected, but the unions are over 10 times as big. You know, they're the biggest organisation in society. Unfortunately, not perhaps as big as they were in a period. There's reasons for that, and perhaps we'll go into them. But nevertheless, they've got huge potential. And from time to time, we've seen that potential, if not being realised fully, at least hinted at. Certainly, the pension strikes, public sector pension strikes of 2011, where 2 million workers took action, had a massive effect as well. And for us, the the key thing is is how can we uh, have an influence on the unions and make them uh, play the role that we think they could have in organising workers but challenging this system that is really uh, attacking workers on a daily basis. Yeah, I think that's what we always try to get across to people, isn't it? Is it's We're talking about the potential of the unions and really when we're... When people say the Socialist Party has a reputation for putting emphasis on the unions, I think what it really demonstrates is that the Socialist Party has a reputation for putting the emphasis on the working class and you know having a, a big faith in the power of the working class to change things and the trade unions being bodies that represent the, the organisation of that power. Um, and that it's not necessarily about what those bodies are like at the moment, but like you say, the, the potential that's in them. And... We, we don't just, obviously there's all the workplace issues at the moment, there's all the campaigns on pay and, um, you know, there's a direct threat to jobs and that kind of thing when we say the trade unions should take a lead on those workplace issues. 
But we also, when any kind of, you know, social struggle comes up, we also say that we should take that into the trade union. So um, on the issue of uh, women's rights, for example, we led the campaign against domestic violence in the past, which was taking the issue of domestic violence into the unions um, at the moment with the uh, Football Lads Alliance and the threat from the, the far right, we've uh, written a, a trade union motion trying to get the unions to take a lead on organising on that issue, on the issue of housing and all kinds of other things that people might not think automatically are trade union issues. We still always emphasise taking that um, into the, the trade union. So, But some people might ask, what, what have those things got to do with the trade unions? Yeah, I mean, first of all, Obviously, it's not just an issue of the trade unions as such. To us, the trade unions is the organisation of workers. But of course, unfortunately, we are we live in an era where uh, trade union density is still is at a low level compared to what it was. So therefore, it's it's also the workplaces. Now, why is that important that the that workers take the lead in that, and of course, ultimately the the unions itself? Well, for instance, on the issue of racism. You know, uh, where you know when you're in a workplace, that's the everyday environment that you're involved in, and of course, for us, the the reason why workers uh, we don't have this romantic view of workers. You know, for us, the reason why the working class is so important is because they ultimately have the economic power. Uh, you know, that can have a direct impact if they take action together and collectively on capitalism. As a whole, in effect, you know, workers make the profits. If uh, workers make the trains run, you know, they make the electricity flow. You know, if they take action in that way, they can stop capitalism, and that's important. But also, it's the fact that workers uh, are more prone to have a collective consciousness, you know, because they work together. They're involved in production, but not just production. They obviously, as other aspects of work. Uh, together and and that is what marks them out differently. Now that doesn't mean that you can't have uh, you can't have workers with contrary views. Let's be clear: there'll be people who are on the Football Lads Alliance demonstrations. Uh, I believe are being exploited by those ideas, but the idea that you know some of those are not workers, we'd be kidding ourselves in that way. But also, if they are workers. And even if they're involved in the unions, that means the unions have a real opportunity to make those, you know, points to them. And the reason why I think it's important is, is like, you know, like in London, but not just in London, in, in all over the country, increasingly we have a diverse workforce. So, for instance, when the London bus workers were on strike, uh, and they've been on strike a few times over the last few years, we have a workforce of 25,000, 30,000 workers from many, many different uh, countries, different ethnic backgrounds, etc. But of course, they were on the picket lines together. They were on strike together. And that was showing to those workers in practice, even those who were a bit prone uh, to racist ideas and sympathies. But what that was showing to them was that if workers take action together, if they stand together, then you know, that's when they can gain. If they divided, then that only helps the employer. And we have to get that point over to them as well. I think there's another aspect as well is that, um, you know, I, I, just on the issue as well of uh, other issues, you know, issues uh, about sexism, homophobia, etc. Again, it's this idea that if workers are united, then, you know, 
those ideas of division, whether they be race, gender, uh, homophobia, or whatever, then they only help the employer. You know, a divided workforce is uh, is one where the boss uh, is going to be uh, strengthened. I think there's another issue as well. The reason why we need to take these in the unions is because, you know, we need to put demands on the union leaders because otherwise they could be left off the hook. You know, the union leaders are quite happy to outsource, you know, some of the union leaders rather. We don't want to put them all in the same bunch, but some union leaders would be quite happy to outsource some of these struggles. So, for instance, uh, whether it be the fight against the racists and the fascists, uh, you know, some of the other issues. I mean, for example, um, you know, we don't want to get in a, a situation where we've had, for instance, over the last period, the People's Assembly, for instance, which has huge amount of trade union backing and finance. You know, we the unions for us should be at the fore of fighting austerity. They don't need to create an organisation to do that. And of course, the, the reason for us is simple. If the trade unions take the action, if the re- trade unions organise the demonstration, then what it means is, is that workers going on those demonstrations can put demands on the unions for the next course of action, whether it needs to take strike action to, to develop the uh, to develop the action that's needed. If you outsource it, then the unions are like a guest at that, you know, and that is not, in our opinion, the best way to organise it. Of course, if the unions union leaders aren't prepared to take an action, then of course, um, you know, rank and file organisations, the NSSN is part of this, other organisations, we are prepared to, to, to take a lead if we have to. But when when the National Shop Stewards Network takes action, it doesn't take action and says, this is what we want to do. It says, actually, the unions should be doing this. And we are taking action to put the pressure and the demands on the unions to, to take the action that they should be doing anyway. Yeah, and I think another aspect of that is it's about how do the trade unions convince workers that the trade unions are the bodies uh, that are going to fight for them, with them, and, and so on. Um, because at the moment, there's a big number of people who are, um, you know, have some fears, but also ang- a lot of anger and are getting active on a lot of different issues, not just uh, immediate workplace issues, but things such as the fight against racism and sexism and so on. And if the trade unions don't um, appear to show any interest in those types of things, it further alienates them from working class people and particularly from young workers who are getting kind of radicalised on um, these types of uh, issues. But obviously, I mean, we've already referenced a bit that they often they don't um, they don't go along with the demands that we're putting forward on them to take a lead in in any type of uh, struggle. And actually, it's, it's a bit of a international phenomenon, isn't it, that in the, the period since the uh, economic crisis and austerity and so on, that the trade union's role has not been in general one of leading things, pushing things forward, um, you know, leading the labour movement to have big successes uh, against austerity. Um, and in some places, the trade unions have played completely the opposite to that role. Um, so... You know, is it possible to change that, to turn that around for the trade unions to be playing the kind of role that we think they can? Um, and I think, like, you know, we'd say for that to happen, workers have to take a lead, isn't it? Workers have to struggle to change them. 
but how can workers be convinced to do that um, given how much they've been holding things back? Well, first of all, the reason why, when you think about it, the reason why it's important the unions take a lead on these issues is because they can be quite divisive in the wrong hands. And I think the unions, are, you know, can play a role, a fundamental role in uniting those issues. You know, again, we'd be kidding ourselves if we didn't think there is a, a lay, layers of workers who can be, uh, you know, attracted to some of these reactionary ideas. You know, again, whether it's racism, sexism, etc. Whereas the unions can play a unique role almost in, in bringing those together. When that doesn't happen, then of course we can get into a situation of quite uh, polarised uh, issues. We've seen that, haven't we? You know, on the issue of um, on the issue of the uh, Gender Recognition Act, mm-hmm. where we have different forces out there, all of all of whom probably would regard themselves as progressive or, you know, perhaps even of the left, um, and it can easy you can easily get into a situation where you're fighting, uh, you know, you're fighting each other. So I think the the unions play a fundamental role in that, in in being able to unite people. But of course, these are debates that are that are out there. Um, and yes, you know, can unions be transformed? Well, I think unions, you know, can be transformed. Um, and and really, what we we advocate is uh, people who do want to change their union. You know, getting together. You know, we we've always had a view in the Socialist Party that it's possible to bring together people uh, who regard themselves as fighters uh, into different left organisations. We might not agree with every single thing that each of us stand for, but we might. But we, I'm sure, agree that a particular union has to be transformed. For instance, that that is the role we historically played in CPSA and now PCS. It, we're involved in unison action in unison at the moment uh, against the apprentice leadership. And again, he's, he's over the last day or so, he's, in our opinion, joining the anti-Jeremy Corbyn bandwagon. So, and we are involved in those organisations with people and, organi- and parties who don't necessarily agree with everything uh, that we stand for or we put forward, but we can work on a practical basis and those have to be built up, you know, uh, those rank and file left organisations or broad lefts as they were traditionally known, uh, that we should do that. But also, of course, it's about organising the rank and file. You know, one of the tremendous movements that took place over the last seven, eight years, really, was the construction workers who uh, were mobilised against the Besner contract in 2011, 2012. They were going to lose up to 35% of of their wages. Uh, they were trying to put pressure on their union to fight that. Uh, but what they did was they then organised as a rank and file level and acted as a lever, as a pressure uh, on Unite at the time. And then Unite came in, supported the uh, struggle and they tried to retain uh, that rank and file structure as well. So it is possible. And of course, you know, there might be people listening to this who've never heard some of these things before. And of course, that is an aspect of what we have to do as well. We have to tell people what up, what's happening. And, and of course, we have to be the memory of the working class. You know, when I referred earlier to the 2011 pension strike, which was a, which was the high point probably of the last period in, in Britain, 
you know, earlier that year, 750,000 workers marched on an anti-austerity demonstration uh, against the Tories. Later that year, we had the pensions uh, strike. Fantastic movements that could and should have, you know, really defeated what was the Condemn Coalition. Um, but some of the trade union leaders, you know, uh, couldn't wait to get out of that dispute. And that has had massive consequences. You know, that has meant the Tories have felt emboldened to really roll out their austerity uh, offensive. But nevertheless, that did show us that workers can take action. But of course, if we don't remind people that happened, how many people remember that November 30th, 2011, wasn't just a strike of two million workers, it was a mobilisation, you know. 60,000 people marched in London, 30,000 in Manchester, 20,000 in Brighton and Bristol, and I think 4,000 people marched in Taunton. Now, I've got nothing against people. You know, it's probably not the most um, capital of the organised working class, but it just showed you that that actually did happen, and we have to remind people of that and show what the potential is. And there's no doubt, in my opinion, that underneath the surface, there is a massive anger exists in society that's reflect reflected in support for jeremy corbyn that's reflected in uh, the scottish independence referendum i think the eu referendum uh, as well there's massive massive anger we see on a localized basis loads of disputes that take place all the time if that can be mobilized coordinated then the working class can be a decisive force in society so then i suppose some of the things that um some people would put forward uh, now who kind of see themselves as the kind of modern thinkers of the left, if you like, who might say that um, the trade unions are less relevant today because things have objectively changed in how work is organised in particular. So, you know, the rise of zero hour contracts, the number of people who are, you know, working a number of different jobs who are using apps to get their work and that kind of thing, that that changes the nature of work and therefore the way that organize uh, that workers are going to organize um what do you think about that do you think that it, you know the that those changes do change the way that people have to organize does it make it harder for the way that unions have been established you know what was that for a different type of work which doesn't necessarily work for kind of um modern employment uh structures um and then related to that they have yeah, I'm sure you'll now say about some of the struggles that have been with delivery and so on of some of these different types of workers. Um, and do you think there is a prospect for a kind of a new new unionism? Well, I mean, it's worth saying to listeners that new unionism, uh, that concept, you know, took place in the late 19th century. And it, it pertains to uh, the building of the general union uh, unions at the time. Because if you think about it, the reason why they call trade unions is because historically they were for skilled workers. And, uh, you know, there was actually resistance on behalf of some of those uh, unions to the idea that unskilled workers or semi-skilled workers should be allowed to join unions. But, of course, really that helped unions become mass organisations, you know. And what that shows is is that there's always been challenges facing the unions you know of course the objective situation will challenge unions because suddenly what you don't have or you don't have as much perhaps is if you look back 30 40 years ago i think 40 odd years ago there were six and a half million workers in manufacturing industry there's less than three million 
now. You don't have necessarily the big, massive workplaces. We do have some of them, but we don't have them on the same scale as we had in the past. So, yes, of course. But, of course, we had those challenges before. You know, uh, we had dockers turning up to uh, work where they'd all have to have a mad scrum to see who got the that day's work or, uh, you know, would be the blue-eyed boy and would, would uh, get that work, you know. Um, anyone who worked in the 19th century, you could argue they were always on, you know, day-to-day contracts, you know, if they faced in fit or, you know, the, uh, the security of work. So unions have always had to uh, fight that. But, of course, capitalism is regressing. Capitalism is going back to Victorian times and the unions have to... Uh, deal with that and there have been some positive signs the unions are trying to grapple with it for instance we're going to have the fifth strike coming up in the next week or so by workers in tgi fridays who organized uh in unite you know probably never heard of a trade union previously you know but again workers in very insecure precarious work you know you mentioned delivery uber eats um we've seen a few of these career companies uh you know, unions starting to look towards them. We saw the McDonald's workers, etc. So the unions are, are starting to organise in these sectors and trying to uh, uh, grapple with them. And of course, the unions uh, have, you know, have been written off many, many times. But, you know, we have to have a sense of proportion here. You know, I think there are something like 30 million workers in Britain. You know, there is a massive field to recruit workers uh, into the unions. But of course, as work, it's it's this contradiction, isn't it? The more precarious work becomes, the more reason you've got to join a trade union. However, it does set some practical uh, uh, obstacles in doing that. But nevertheless, the unions have to continue to uh, look to that. And there's, you know, there's no shortcut the way you recruit workers into a trade union is by showing them the difference that a trade union uh, makes. You have to win victories. So, for instance, the McDonald's workers, who are still in dispute with McDonald's, and we in the Baker's Union, we expect them to be on strike uh, again, but they've already had some localised victories. They all, they've had some you know, victories in terms of uh, terms and conditions, dealing with bullying uh, management and Ultimately, that is what builds uh, a union, bringing home the lesson that if you're organised, you stand together, then you can win. I mean, the uh, you know the the uh, delivery workers, you know, we were told initially that the gig economy, you know, it's it's moved on. You know, you don't have employers, you don't have workers anymore. Well, it doesn't matter what you call a worker; you may call them an independent contractor. You may call uh, the employer a different name, but the fact was that dispute was a dispute and it was clear to all those uh, workers, you know, all those workers that they were the workers and management were management and it looked and felt like a normal dispute and that's exactly what it was. And what it does, what it did do, it brought in a whole new layer of workers. See, the other thing we we need to make is is the attraction of unions. There's, There's a number of processes going on i think in in the work workforce at the moment that yes we're dealing with one year about work becoming precarious uh 
But on the other hand, what we're having is big sections of what previously you'd regard as middle-class people being drawn into the labour and trade union movement. I mean, the most obvious example of that probably was the junior doctors a couple of years ago with fantastic uh, picket lines, you know. And see, the thing is, when workers take action, the consciousness changes. Those workers, that's what they are, learned quickly through that dispute. The other example this year is the university lecturers and other workers, postgrads and all the rest of it, took part in an incredible dispute this year. They not only took on the employer, who was yet again coming after their pensions, they also organised to prevent the union from stopping that dispute prematurely. It was incredible. You know, 600 lecturers outside the UCU headquarters uh, in London to maintain the dispute. There were some younger members of the union who were there who probably didn't have the pension in the pension scheme, but realised this dispute was key for their own livelihood uh, in education, the attacks that have been rolled out against them, etc. So, you know, again, those examples show you what is possible and not just what is possible, but what is happening. But of course, it's beholden on us to shout from the rooftops and the unions themselves. This is the practical example of what is possible if you organise together. Yeah, and I think also it shows, um, it really emphasises the correctness of uh, what we've always said, isn't it, that we've continued to maintain a, an emphasis on the trade unions, even when they've not played a good role, because it shows that there is a certain inst instinctive thing about it, that when workers need to fight back, and our workers do need to fight back, and, you know, are pushed to that at a certain point, that they... Um, almost naturally turn to the traditional methods of the trade unions, of strike action, of mass meetings and so on. Those things have, have been thrown up in all those different um, disputes. So an another aspect then of things at the moment is the political side of things, which I think has a, an impact in the, the trade unions as well. Um, so what do you think has been the impact of the, the kind of surges behind Corbyn um, in the trade unions and in the you know workplace struggles? Because obviously you might... On, on the one hand, there's the fact that um, people are feeling confident that things can be a different way, uh, but it's not just been a straightforward thing like that, isn't it? It's not that um, since Corbyn's come to power in the Labour Party, there's just been uh, a huge number of you know extra struggles that are being led much more militantly. It's not a, a clear thing like that. I think it's contradictory, as you say. I think in general, we would say that the development around Jeremy Corbyn has been, you know really positive in the sense that you know far more people are talking about you know socialist ideas and to get the leader of the Labour Party uh, you know the word socialism being talked about at least you know a program against privatization for nationalization public ownership and of course a trade you a Labour leader who's not embarrassed to stand on a picket line uh, again is enormously progressive and, and undoubtedly that has given a layer of the activist confidence that, you know, change is is possible, if you like. It's in the air, uh, and that is uh, that is uh, very positive. But I agree, it, there's also a contradictory side to that, and that is that uh, there can be a tendency to be, you know, to passivity. You know, the idea that we don't need to do what needs to be done. We don't need to organise. We don't need to take action because... A Jeremy Corbyn government is just around the corner. Well, that's far from certain. You know, the 
and you know anyone who can who looks at the what I would call the fake news of this offensive against Corbyn on anti-Semitism will realize that that has been coordinated you know uh, as soon as Theresa May is on the you know on the back step she's uh, she's under a, a attack you know the Tory splits get to a certain pitch lo and behold the uh, you know the loyal Blairites i.e. loyal to the capitalist establishment uh, come out and go on about anti-Semitism and what does that reveal? It reveals the powers that be are determined that there shouldn't be a Corbyn government uh, and if and they're prepared to do what it takes or should there be a Corbyn government they will put relentless pressure on him not to implement his programme. And I think that's because they're terrified uh, as much as what that can do to workers, that the expectation that can raise amongst workers. You know, uh, I give an example, for instance, you know, my local town, uh, Batalbot, where the steelworks two years ago were on the verge of closing. There's no question about that, in my opinion. If Corbyn was prime minister, would you have steel workers demanding that that be brought into public ownership? Similarly with London bus drivers or, you know, train drivers or, or you know, etc. So that's what they're terrified. They're terrified about the expectation that will be created. It's no way guaranteed. Nothing is guaranteed in this period. And actually, the role the unions can play is not just about taking action that's needed, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis to improve their pay and conditions, stop job losses, etc. The unions also have a key role to play, one, in getting Corbyn elected, but two, what could happen after Corbyn is elected as well? Because, you know, if we look at what happened in Greece with uh, the Syriza government, the left government, it was put under relentless pressure by the European Union, also the Greek uh, capitalists, uh, and the same will happen with uh, Corbyn. There'll be huge pressure put on Corbyn to retreat from his programme, and the and the organised working class can have a massive will 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 play the key role in make in in fighting against that pressure and keeping the pressure on Corbyn to carry out his uh, his programme. And it is not in the interests of the working class to be lulled to sleep, if you like, to just wait for a. Uh, a Corbyn government you know the truth is we have to fight on the day-to-day -day issues we have to link them to getting rid of the Tories but also bringing in a government that actually can change things and that means confronting the very capitalist establishment the employers that are trying to uh, sabotage Corbyn's government in, a, in alliance with the Blairites so the working class organized together on the front foot is necessary now in the run-up to a possible Corbyn government and after a Corbyn government. Okay, so, and obviously that, um, that those kind of political points are one of the big things that we're raising inside the trade unions at the moment. And you've mentioned the, the role of the uh, union left organisations that we've kind of helped build in a number of unions. What are the other kind of key tasks for Marxists in the trade unions uh, at the moment, and particularly the Socialist Party? What are the kind of key things for us to be thinking about? Well, um, well, first of all, I think uh, if you look uh, at the unions as they stand, then obviously what we have at the moment is is the we have the continuing austerity offensive, particularly in the public sector. We've had uh, some uh, possible 
fights on pay, some actual fights on pay. Uh, but unfortunately, the PCS has, uh, hasn't been able to get the necessary threshold of votes to, um, you know, give them a legal dispute against the employer. I mean, it's worth reflecting. We haven't mentioned that, by the way, but the Trade Union Act that came in came into law just over a year ago. Uh, totally undemocratic, you know. Uh, the trade unions now are the only organisation in society where a simple majority is not allowed uh, is enough uh, for them. Although we have a government that didn't even win the majority, uh, probably um, God knows how much uh, uh, turnout they had uh, in the election, uh, and yet posed this undemocratic law. On uh, people, and the reality is, the trade unions collectively didn't do enough on that. You know, the TUC didn't call one demonstration. Uh, I think they called one lobby of parliament, didn't call one demonstration uh, against it. But uh, but, I'm confident that in the period that lies ahead, when workers take action, if the issue is important enough, they're not going to be constrained and restricted by such an undemocratic uh, Tory law. But it does mean, however, that those tasks. Are still on the order of the day as far as uh, pay is concerned. Uh, there's going to be a debate in the teaching unions going into the autumn about the action they need to take uh, on pay. Um, in education, there's more action uh, uh, to be discussed and hopefully put forward. And the issue isn't going to go away in in the, in the civil service unions, local government unions. In the NHS, by the way, there's a controversy because health workers were expecting more money in their pay packets uh, uh, from what the leadership told them. And that is certainly controversial and that may come back uh, as well. But I think the key the key issue, as far as public sector unions together, they're still working together, fighting together. It's the 150th anniversary of the TUC this year. It's, uh, I think most workers would probably think it's got a checkered uh, history, but of course that history the history of the unions is one of, uh, you know, tremendous moments, tremendous periods where the unions have been, you know, a mighty force in society for the good of workers, you know, that have improved uh, workers' life, have been the motor force behind that. But of course, there have been other not so good moments. And really, the the factors are is that when, when the trade union members are mobilised and are organised to act in the trade unions to put pressure on the leadership if necessary to take the action that's needed then that is the most you know uh, positive uh, work that can be done really and that's when the unions uh, take the best um, action and we always need that we always need the pressure of rank and file workers on the leadership as a critical mass to push them to take the action that is uh, that is necessary. And um, again, as I've said, we've seen glimpses of that in the last period. You know, I go back to November 30th, 2011. You know, that was the biggest action taken by workers um, probably since the height of the winter of discontent. Uh, there were more workers out on November the 30th than any day in the general strike in 1926 you know and what we have to do is continually fight for the action that is needed against what is a weak and divided Tory government a government that is racked by crisis um, and a working class that is angry the question is how can we 
channel that anger together to put this government uh, under the pressure that hopefully can push them uh, out of office. And, and that's a, a good point to make here, that Jeremy Corbyn, we hope, comes to office, if you like. But if Jeremy come, Corbyn comes to office on the back of the Tories being really put, put under the maximum pressure by workers, in effect, putting them under pressure, that means that a general election has been called. In effect, the organised working class pushing out the Tories, it means a totally different character to that government. It means the wor working class is is going on record, is registering that, it, that they are the dominant force in society and they are a check on that government as well. And it's a warning then to the capitalist establishment. That's why we have to fight on the day-to-day -day issues that affect workers, on pay, terms and conditions, pensions, jobs, etc. And, of course, the issues you raise on that, that, that affect workers, like sexism, racism, etc. But the working class mobilised together can be, you know, uh, the, the powerful force in society. And we have to fight for that, for that force to have ideas, revolutionary ideas, socialist ideas, to understand the need to change society overall. Okay, I think that's a good note to finish on in terms of why it's important for us all to, to study these kind of issues and try our, uh, our best to understand um, what's at the heart of them. So thanks, Rob. Thanks. Rob gave an outline there of the basics of how we approach the trade unions, but there are many more issues to discuss. Let us know your questions or which topics you'd like us to go into more detail on by emailing socialismpodcast at socialistparty.org.uk. And a great way to continue the discussion is to attend Socialism 2018 this weekend, the 10th and 11th of November in central London. Workshops include Can the Unions Fight Austerity and PCS Union Assistant General Secretary Election, The Real Issues. See full details and get your ticket at socialism2018.net. There's also suggested further reading on the topic in the episode notes at socialistparty.org.uk forward slash podcast. And don't forget to subscribe on your podcast app to never miss an episode.